0: plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapter 27 of Eclipse, Needs, and the epilogue, Choice. Oh, she loves to hit us with an epilogue, doesn't she? Just when you think it's over, she's like, bam. But it's the last Chapter. Woo, 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 woo. Pew, 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 pew. Have you enjoyed Eclipse? Honestly, I've hated it. I think maybe I like it more than New Moon because New Moon was so schlocky in its depression. But this one, it's just like she's trying to cram in a love triangle where there really is no love triangle. Like, is she really going to walk away from Edward Cullen? She's been pining over him for books and books and books, and she's engaged to marry him. And she was trying to string us along with this love triangle idea. Like, nah, babe, not fallen for it. And I feel like the whole other conflict was just Victoria, which we should have dealt with last book. If Stephanie Meyer knew what narrative momentum was, we would have dealt with Victoria last book and maybe the Volturi this book instead. But oh God, that's if we ever had a plot. <sighs> and this one was long. It was long, but what happened? I don't know, she graduated, I guess few more La Push people became wolves. I, what else happened? What else happened? I don't know. We get some more backstory. Oh, that's always fun. Anyway, well, let's press into the final chapter. Da, 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 da. So where we left off, she'd just broken up with Jacob, even though they were never dating, but she's broken up with him officially. And now she's leaving La Push, and she's upset. She says, I didn't get very far before driving became impossible. I think because because of the tears in her eyes meant that she couldn't see. So she pulls over once she's out of La Push territory, once she gets over that invisible boundary that is still important, I guess, she pulls over and she figures, Alice will see me and then she'll tell Edward and Edward will come and get me. And I would not put any trust in Alice, but apparently that plan worked and Edward does arrive. And so Edward starts to comfort her because she's crying, she's feeling super anxious and like screaming inside. And she says, at first it was worse because there was a smaller part of her that was craving for a different set of arms. As in, she's still wanting to get with Jacob. I thought we just broke up with the guy, but all right. And then she's feeling guilty because she's craving the extra set of arms. Oh my goodness gracious me. And so who knows how long they just sat there on the side of the road sobbing. And then eventually she's like, I better get home. Yeah, go home. What are you doing in the car on the side of the road? So Edward drives her home in her truck and she's trying to suppress all of her sobbing. So she gets home. She tells Edward to sneak on upstairs. She's got to go through Charlie. And Charlie, as usual, he's just on the sofa, living his life. And he's like, oh, hey, Bells. Like, doesn't even get up. And then he's like, oh, what happened? Uh, Is it Jacob? Is Jacob all right? And she's like, he's fine. And she says to herself, Jacob was fine. Physically, that is. Uh, Yep, she broke his heart. And Charlie's like, "Uh uh-huh. Well, what happened to you then, babe? What happened to you? You look like shit. And she goes, nothing, dad. I just had to talk to Jacob about some things that were hard. I'm fine. And he says what I was thinking last week. Charlie says, was that the best time, Bells? Is that really the best time to be dumping him? And she goes, Probably not, Dad. But I didn't have any alternatives. It just got to the point where I had to choose. Sometimes there isn't any way to compromise. Well, I you could have you could have left it a few days, but okay. And Charlie He's he's Team Jacob. Hashtag Team Jacob because he's like, Well, I hope you didn't mess up his recovery. What how's he get? how's she gonna mess up that? Like yeah, she should have waited a few days, but she's not going to pause the mending of his broken bones just by making him upset. I don't think that's how recovery works. And so then Bella's like, I'll I'll be in my room, dad. And Charlie just says, okay. And she says he could probably see the waterworks starting to escalate. Nothing scared Charlie worse than tears. Grow the fuck up, Charlie. I feel like people have crushes on Charlie and I get it, but also that's not a man. He doesn't cook his own dinner. He doesn't know how to confront emotions. Grow up, Charlie. I see why Renee left you. And it's like as soon as she left you, you did not grow up at all. You were emotionally stunted from that point. Have you learned anything? Although Renee's a freaking psycho too, so you know. And because she's got the tears in her eyes, she's still blinded. She says, I made my way to my room, blind, stumbling. And I'm like, well, you stumble when you can see, so I don't think you should be blaming that on the tears. And then she's in a room. She's trying to take off that werewolf bracelet that she's got. And she can't do it because she can't see. She's stumbling. She's blind. And Edward's like, just leave the bracelet on, babe. It's part of who you are. And so then the sobs come again. And so he's holding her and she's sobbing. And She says she just kept sobbing all night. She says the night dragged relentlessly, although it wasn't the worst night of my life. So just keep track of things. It's not the worst night of her life. Okay. She says Charlie's fear of emotional outbursts kept him from checking on me, though I was not quiet. He probably got no more sleep than I did. What? So she's up all night sobbing, crying, screaming, and he's not even gonna do a pop-in? He's not even gonna knock on the door and be like, hey, babes, like bring her up some milk, a glass of hot milk. He's just not gonna check in on her at all. What a dick. Charlie is a dick. So then she's obviously blaming herself because she's Bella. She says, my hindsight seemed unbearably clear. I could see every mistake I'd made, every bit of harm I'd done, the small things and the big things, each pain I'd caused Jacob, each wound I'd given Edward. And she says, and I realized that I'd been wrong all along about the magnets. Oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. We couldn't have ended the book without circling back to the magnet metaphor. Remember the magnets on the fridge? Oh, And she says it had not been Edward and Jacob that I'd been trying to force together. It was the two parts of myself, Edward's Bella and Jacob's Bella. But they could not exist together and I should never have tried. What the fuck are you on about, Dal? You're one person. I, You're not two different people repelled magnetically. What? Like, has anyone else noticed her acting differently when she's with Edward or with Jacob? I haven't noticed her be any different. I wouldn't be diagnosing her with split personalities. Certainly not. And then she says, at some point in the night, I remembered the promise I'd made to myself that I would never make Edward see me shed another tear for Jacob Black. And that makes her cry even more, which is hilarious. She tells us, Edward said little. He just held me on the bed and let me ruin his shirt, staining it with salt water. Okay, like I understand the science behind tears and our bodily fluids being salty because of electrolytes, blah, 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 blah. but also. They're not that salty. Like I just looked it up and the amount of salt in our bodies is about the same as the amount of salt in our blood, just under 1% or about two teaspoons of salt per liter. Just two teaspoons of salt per liter. And she's talking like she is a saltwater crocodile and she's just crying out the Pacific Ocean on Edward's chest. It's not that salty, darling. I think you're just wetting his shirt. You're not ruining his shirt with salt coming out of your eyes. But I think we're pushing through it because she says it took longer than she thought for that smaller broken part of her to cry herself out. But it happened. And she was eventually exhausted enough to sleep. And she says the morning brought with it, if not a brighter outlook, at least a measure of control and some acceptance. But she's like, there'll still be that ache in my heart that only time could heal. And so she opens her eyes. They're finally dry. They're all salt watered out. And she says, Edward met her anxious gaze. And she's like, oh, hey. (laughs) And he's like, um, and he doesn't say anything. He's probably thinking, I just watched this psycho cry all night over another man. What the fuck? And she's like, I'm fine. (laughs) I'm fine. I don't know what that was all about, but it won't happen again. And he's like, and he's still not saying anything. And she says, I'm sorry that you had to see that. That wasn't fair to you. And I'm like, Edward, okay, you're gonna have to speak up, guy. Please break the silence. And eventually he says, are you sure you've made the right choice? I've never seen you in so much pain. Oh God, don't talk about choice. Don't offer to give up and let her be with Jacob. I can't do it. I can't do it. Just Now that you've decided you're with Edward, stick with it. I can't go through this eclipse love triangle again. And she says, I'm sure. And he says, but if it hurts you so much, how can it possibly be the right thing for you? And she says, Edward, I know who I can't live without. Even though she lived without him for months when he ran off to Brazil. She says, you may be brave enough or strong enough to live without me if that's what's best, but I could never be that self-sacrificing. I have to be with you. It's the only way I can live. God, that's dramatic. That's dramatic. And Edward's looking at her all dubious. He's like, I don't know, Bells, that was a lot of crying. And she says, hand me that book. And so it's Withering Heights again. And she's flipping through it, trying to find a page that she remembers because it will express what she can't say. But really it's just Stephanie Meyer trying to force the link to the text again. And it wasn't buying it then and I'm not buying it now. So she reads out, if all else perished and he remained, I should still continue to be. And if all else remained and he were annihilated, the universe would turn to a mighty stranger. And she's like, Yep, that's it. (laughs) That's exactly what I'm thinking. And Edward's like, Uh huh, okay. Well, what about this quote from Heathcliff? And he says, I cannot live without my life. I cannot live without my soul. And she's like, Yeah, that's a great point. This book's really mirroring our life, isn't it? And they're like, Yeah, what a great book. And then they put the book down. Never to be thought of again until we figure out what book it is for Breaking Dawn that they're going to base their lives around. Base all their internal conflicts around. What is the book for Breaking Dawn? Let's check that. Oh, okay. So apparently, Breaking Dawn is inspired by The Merchant of Venice and A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Say all you want, Steph, but I'll believe it's when I sees it. I mean, this book was based on fridge magnets, so we'll see. And so, Bella, she says, Look, Edward, I've made a mess of things and I'm going to have to live with it, but I know what I want and what I need and what I'm going to do now. And he's like, what's that? And she goes, well, we are going to go see Alice. So they go to the Cullens' house and there's Alice sitting on the porch waiting for them because of course she saw it happen. And she's like, thank you, Bella. Oh, Bella, I'm so excited. Thank you so much. And she goes, hold it, Alice. Hang on a tick. She says, I've got a few limitations for you. And she's like, yeah, I know. I see the future. I know every decision you've ever made as soon as you've made it, but not a minute sooner. She says, I only have until August 13th at the latest. You have veto power on the guest list. And if I go overboard on anything, you'll never speak to me again. And she's like, do you want to see the dress? And she's like, oh my God, the dress already. You've got a dress. And she thinks, deep breath, deep breath, whatever makes her happy. Why do you care about Alice's happiness so much? I don't understand it. And she says, Alice, when did you get me a dress? And she says, well, these things take time, Bella. I wasn't sure things were going to turn out this way, but there was a possibility. You didn't need to be a fortune teller to guess this. I mean, Edward's been talking loud and proud about how he wants to marry her. He's proposed like five times. And Alice is like, well, I had a hunch. I saw a vision of you getting married. Well, you figured it out because Edward was talking loudly about how he wants to get married in a house where you all have super hearing. Anyway, so she says she's put in an order with some designer called Perrin Bruyer because they have a waiting list. And she's like, well, they've got a waiting list, so I've got to get in early. She says, fabric masterpieces don't happen overnight. If I hadn't thought ahead, you'd be wearing something off the rack. As if Bella would give a shit about wearing something off the rack. I'd be surprised if she wasn't wearing a khaki skirt to her wedding. And Bella's like, who's Perrin Beyer? And she goes, oh, he's not a major designer, Bella. There's no need to throw a hissy fit. Okay, well, if he's not a major designer, why'd you have to put in the order months ago? So they go up to her room and Alice is like, Edward, get the fuck out. And Bella's like, what? And Alice says, it's bad luck to see the bride in the dress before the wedding. And Bella's like, he's already seen it. He can read minds. He's seen it in your head. You're being so stupid. And for once, I'm agreeing with Bella. But Edward's like, fine, fine, I'll leave, I'll leave. And they shut the door on his face, which does seem a bit impactful. It's a bit hurtful to shut the door on someone's face, but okay. So Alice gets out this garment bag and she unzips it. She takes the dress off and she goes, well, and Bella looks at it for a moment and she's like playing with her, like by not giving her an expression just yet. And Alice's expression turns worried. What? You've already seen the future? Of course she likes the dress. You've seen her wear the dress, haven't you? And then Bella's like, oh, I get it. It's my Anne of Green Gables vision all over again. It's perfect for like a 1918 wedding. And Alice is like, oh, thank God she likes it. Just shocked by her liking it. And she's like, yeah, that was sort of my design, you know, for the train and the va- So they got this designer, but Alice ended up designing the dress. Okay. She designed it to look like you would wear it at a wedding in 1918 because that's when Edward was dead or whatever. Oh my goodness. And Bella says, it's beautiful, just right for him. And Alice is like, well, what about for you, doll? And she says, yeah, it's just what I need. I love it. Thanks, Alice. And then she goes, can I see your dress? And again, Alice is shocked. She says, she blinked, her face blank. She, She didn't see it coming. And Bella says, didn't you order your bridesmaid's dress at the same time? I wouldn't want my maid of honor to wear something off the rack. And Alice is, oh my God. She's like, what? What? I never saw this decision coming because you never made that decision until in the moment or something. And she's like, oh my God, thank you, Bella. Thank you, Bella. And she's like, oh my God, I've got so much to do. Go play with Edward. I have to get to work. So Alice runs out of the room screaming for Esme because they've got a wedding to plan. How exciting. So she rejoins with Edward, who was just stalking the corridor, listening in. And he says, that was very nice of you. And she goes, yeah, she seems happy. And he goes, all right, well, let's get out of here. Let's go to our meadow. And she's like, our meadow? I guess I don't have to hide out anymore, do I? And he says, nah, Victoria's dead, let's go. Is it just me or is Forks having like the nicest weather? Because here they are going to the meadow. I was led to believe that Forks was like the rainiest town in all of America, but apparently it's a great day to be lying on grass, dry grass. She says the meadow was a peaceful, happy place. Patches of summer daisies interrupted the grass with splashes of white and yellow. And so they lay, oh, no, no, it is, it is damp ground. She says, I lay back, ignoring the slight dampness of the ground. Okay, so why why would you be out in a meadow when it's damp? That doesn't connect with me. That sounds miserable. The danger of her being killed by Victoria has passed, but she could still catch a chill. She could still get sick from lying on damp ground. And Edward says to her, okay, well, August 13th, huh? And she says, that gives me a month until my birthday. I don't want to cut it too close. Oh my goodness. This bitch and not wanting to age, I swear to God. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? It's not like you'll be whipping out your birth certificate. What's the difference between 18 and 19? You'll get a fake ID anyway when you live forever. How many signs of visible aging do you think you'll prevent in a month? And honestly, the way you talked about all of Alice's anti-aging moisturisings and creams last chapter indicated to me that you weren't that bothered with your skincare regime. So what difference is a month gonna make? Oh, she can't possibly do it as a 19 year old. She wouldn't wanna be 19 forever. Oh, fuck off. And Edward's like, oh, this again. He says, Esme is three years older than Carlisle. Did you know that? And she's like, I don't care. And then she says, get this. She says, my age is not really that important. Edward, I'm ready. I've chosen my life. Now I want to start living it. Age isn't important. You're telling me that age isn't important all of a sudden? You, ju- you just said you wanted to get married before you turned another year older. Oh, age isn't important. What? And Edward just drops it. He's like, I can't with this bitch. He's like, all right, whatever. And then he says, what about the guest list veto? And she says, yeah, I don't really care, but I'm not sure if Alice would feel the need to invite the werewolves. And I don't know if Jake would feel like he had to come if he were invited. And I don't know if I want to put him in that situation. And then Edward's like, Bella, what are you doing here? He says, tell me why you're doing this. Why did you decide now to give Alice free reign? And she says, well, it's something Charlie said the other day about not wanting me to run off without any notice. And so she says, it wouldn't be fair to keep Charlie out of this and Renee and Phil. So I may as well let Alice have her fun and maybe it will make it easier on Charlie if he gets a proper goodbye. And at least if I go missing, my friends and my family will know that I'm happy wherever I am. And then Edward, instead of just being like, great, let's do it. He, he's got to change his mind. And he says, deals off. And then she's like, what? No, why are you backing out now? This couple can never agree on anything. They've all got to be performatively the aggrieved party. Everything needs to be a sacrifice. Can they not just choose to be happy? Happiness can be a choice, guys. And you're just choosing not to be. Bunch of sacrificial sad sacks. Just have the fucking wedding, Edward. You wanted the fucking wedding. Now you've got the fucking wedding. Just have the fucking wedding. He says, I'm not backing out, Bella. I'll still keep my side of the bargain, but you're off the hook. Whatever you want. No strings attached. I see what you're doing. You're trying to make everyone else happy. And I don't care about anyone else's feelings. I only need you to be happy. Don't worry about breaking the news to Alice. I'll take care of it. What? What? Just have the wedding, Edward. You got your way. Making people happy makes Bella happy, apparently. So just, ugh. And she tries to protest and he says, no, we're doing this your way because my way doesn't work. We tried my way and it only hurt you, blah, blah, blah. You can have your happiness your way. My way is wrong. We're doing it your way, Bella. Just really just repeating himself, but also saying nothing at the same time. Cause I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? And then he's like, we'll do it today. We'll do it tonight. The sooner the better. I'll speak to Carlisle. Maybe if we get you enough morphine, it won't be so bad. So now he's getting ready to turn her all of a sudden. And she's like, what? We We had... Conversations and conversations, whole chapters of conversation about this, and now you're going back on it. Ah, oh, why did I waste my time reading chapter twenty-one or whatever it was when you guys just sat in your room talking for fucking a whole chapter, discussing the get married, have sex, become a vampire timeline, and now we're throwing it out the window. <sighs> now that Victoria's dead, the only conflict they can conceive is when they're going to have sex. It's, it's down to scheduling. That's what we're doing here. So now he's trying to bang her. He's got her on the damp ground in the meadow and he's moving his lips over her. And she's like, oh my God, he's trying to bang me on this damp ground, squishing the daisies that have sprung up out of the meadow. And so now in a delicious role reversal, she's trying to stop him, but she's struggling because she's horny. And she's trying to clear her head, but she's kissing him back. And then she narrates, he rolled gently, pressing me into the cool grass. Get off the ground. Pack a tent. We know you like to hang out in tents. At least bring a picnic blanket when you go to the meadow. All this lying around, rooting on a damp ground. Now I've seen it all. Even in porn, they lay a towel down, don't they? Jeez Louise. So now she, the two parts of her, the Bella magnets are fighting one another, one being like, oh, this is good, let's do it. And the other one being like, no, no, it's not right. And so then eventually she says, stop, Edward, stop, wait. And he's like, why? And so then she's just going to explain the argument that he made five chapters previously. So he's saying, why, Bella, I love you. I want you right now on this cold ground. And so then she's like, no, no, wait. But they're still making out all throughout this. And eventually he groans and pulls himself off her after she said like, no, five times. And so then he's like, why, Bella? What's going on? He says, this had better not be about me, Bella. And she's like, of course it's about you, dude. I love you. My whole world's about you. And she says, Edward, this is very important to me. I am going to do this right all of a sudden. She says, I'm going to do this responsibly. Everything in the right order. I will not leave Charlie and Renee without the best resolution I can give them. I won't deny Alice her fun. And I will tie myself to you in every human way before I ask you to make me immortal. I'm following all the rules, Edward. Your soul is far, far too important to me to take chances with. You're not going to budge me on this. So now she's using the soul argument. His argument has been copy and pasted as her argument. Okay. But also, he's killed people. (laughs) He's killed people, he's drunk their blood, and we're worried about them rooting in a meadow, destroying his soul, other than the the murder. Okay, yeah, that tracks, that tracks. Before you kill me and turn me into an agent of darkness, please don't have sex with me. That would be too great a sin before you kill me. And then Edward's like, you don't fight fair. And she's like, never said I did, which is again a copy and paste of their previous conversation, but swapped around to different characters. Great, great stuff, Steph. Some people call it symmetry. I call it repetition. And then it starts raining and she's annoyed. She's annoyed at nature. She glowers at the sky and like, oh no, it's raining. In folks of all places, who would have thought that it's raining? And so then she says to Edward, all right, well, it's time for me to go and do something that will be very unpleasant and possibly even highly dangerous. And he's like, what? And she says, it's a good thing you're bulletproof. I'm going to need that ring. It's time to tell Charlie. Charlie, who just yesterday gave his consent for them running off to get married, essentially, and saying that he really appreciated how Edward looks after her and Edward looked after Jacob and he's coming around on Edward. Oh, you'll need your bulletproof vest. Oh, he's going to shoot you. The chief law officer of the land, he's going to shoot you and commit murder because he doesn't want you dating me. God, just calm down. You're being so freaking dramatic. The man has let Edward into his home night after night. He's let you guys date, even though he dumped you in a forest and destroyed your life for a considerable length of time. I don't think he's gonna shoot Edward in the head. Although I will say, why would you tell him the day after you've cried all night about Jacob? He listened to you cry all night and you're picking today to tell him? Maybe he will shoot Edward, who knows? And Edward's like, ha yeah, that's hilarious. But I always have the ring on me. So he, oh, he gets the ring box out of his pocket. And he once again slid the ring into place on the third finger of her left hand. Once again, what, what have I told you about repetition? How many times has he proposed in this fucking book? And then she says, on her hand where it would stay conceivably for the rest of eternity. And that's the end of the chapter and the book proper. So the sixth proposal stuck. Let's just savor that moment for a minute. They're going to get married. It's done. It's a done deal. Fantastic.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm
0: just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn
1: Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. And oh, oh, something different's happening. We're in Jacob Black's perspective. Now, when I got to this, I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. That's kind of fresh. That's kind of new. I would enjoy hearing from Jacob's perspective. Turns out not so much because Stephanie, she still writes the same way that she writes for when Bella's narrating. There's no real big shift here. They still use the same words, the same vocab. And I'm like, I still think I'm reading Bella. And because they communicate things so often in dialogue to each other, I already know everything. Jacob pining after Bella. What else is new? We know. So we start with Leah saying to Jacob, Jacob, do you think this is going to take too much longer? And Jacob's like, oh, impatient, whiny Leah. And everyone makes out like Leah is the worst person in the world. All of the pack hate Leah. And I don't get the Leah hate. Like she's being a diva. She's being a bit of a bitch, but also she's gone through a lot of shit. Her fiance dumped her and got engaged to her cousin. And now she's got to experience her ex-fiance's emotions in regards to that love for that other person. Also, her dad just died and then she became a werewolf. I mean, cut the girl a break, but they all treat her like shit, which I do not appreciate. And so Edward had, I don't know, run off to the cliffside or something to go and be alone. But because Leah is such a horrible person, she, even though she knew that he wanted to be alone, is going to keep him company, which is just the most awful thing anyone can ever do. And Jacob says, jump off of a cliff, Leah. And Leah's like, oh my God, do you know how hard this is for me hearing like your emotions all the time? And he's like, hard for you. You have to be the most self-absorbed person alive, Leah. It's crazy that we're just blaming Leah for everything. And he says, I'd hate to shatter the dream world you live in, the one where the sun is orbiting the place where you stand, Leah. So I won't tell you how little I care what your problem is. Go away. Interesting that Jacob, like Bella, also uses sun metaphors habitually. And she's like, will you just shut up and listen to it from my perspective? And he says, if I pretend to listen, will you leave? And he asked, glancing over at the permanent scowl on her face. I wasn't sure if she had any other expression anymore. Oh my God. Leave Leah alone. And then he thinks, I remembered back to when I used to think Leah was pretty. That was a long time ago. Now she's ugly, apparently. No one thought of her that way now. Except for Sam. He was never going to forgive himself like it was his fault that she turned into this bitter harpy. Bitter harpy. This is a character assassination on Leah and I don't agree with it. So Leah says... This is making me sick, Jacob. Can you imagine what this feels like to me? I don't even like Bella. And you've got me grieving over this leech lover like I'm in love with her too. Can you see where that might be a little confusing? I dreamed about kissing her last night. What the hell am I supposed to do with that? And Jacob's like, I don't care. And Leah says, I can't stand being in your head anymore. Get over her already. She's going to marry that thing. He's going to try to decide to change her to one of them. Time to move on, boy. And she's telling it like it is. Nothing like a little bit of tough love from Leah Clearwater. Although also, if you can't stand being in his head anymore, then like stop phasing into being a werewolf. The vampires are gone. There's no threat to your tribe. Just like phase out and relax being a human for a little bit and get your thoughts together. And then Leah says he'll probably just kill her anyway. All the stories say that happens more often than not. Maybe a funeral will be better closure than a wedding, huh? Jacob said the same thing last chapter, didn't he? Where he was like, all the stories say that when vampires try to convert someone into being a vampire, they accidentally kill them. What stories are they reading? And see, then he says, when I was in control again, I glowered at her. She was watching my hands as the tremors slowed. So yeah, glowered. Who uses that phrase all the fricking time? Bella Swan. It's her favorite word. She's always glowering at everything. And now Jacob is too. See, they're not written as different characters. There, I said it. And then he says, if you're upset about gender confusion, Leah, how do you think the rest of us like looking at Sam through your eyes? It's bad enough that Emily has to deal with your fixation. She doesn't need us guys panting after him too. Okay. Well, it's not gender confusion to have a sex dream about another girl when you're a girl. That's not gender confusion. That's sexuality. I don't know how enlightened Jacob is in regards to like gender and sexual fluidity, but If he's panting after Sam, he might need to start thinking about these things. Maybe read a book. Maybe listen to a podcast or something. I don't know. Educate yourself, Jacob, is all I'm saying. But also, like, do you guys think all the wolf boys are actually having sex dreams about Sam because of Leah? Like, that's kind of fun. Wouldn't mind reading a fanfic about that. (laughs) Ooh. But that pissed Leah off, that pissed her off. So she gets up and she spits in Jacob's direction because, you know, she's a vile character. Oh, she's the worst person in the world. And then she runs off. And Jacob there thinks about, oh, the pain of Bella dumping him, but also the pain that she's going to be no longer human soon. All this shit we already know. I don't think we needed a POV of Jacob. We've already figured all this shit out because he told us. But now he's stressing that Edward's going to accidentally kill her and that gets him all really anxious and angry and upset. Okay, sure. So then, after he's stared at the ocean for a little bit, thinking about things, he's like, I better go home because I'm hungry. And so then he needs to go and put his arm in a sling and wear crutches because they had that story that he was in a motorcycle accident and because Charlie saw they've got to keep up the facade. Although I don't know who's hanging around this abandoned cliffside that's going to see. And so he's just going to, what, like, Hobble back down to his house. Who's gonna? Charlie's not looking around. I'm sure you could get away. Just phase into being a wolf. Charlie certainly won't put two and two together. There, we know that. But the thing I wanted to point out here, and I feel uncomfortable saying it, Jacob says, "I made a face as I pulled my arm through the quote retarded sling and grabbed my crutches." Don't love that he said the R word uh, that that certainly is a word that Bella hasn't used. So that is a, that is a bit of a change in the dialogue, but, um, I would have left that out if I was a copy editor. I would have just, you know, swapped that out for a different word perhaps, but it really does hammer home the idea that this is a 16 year old boy and he should chill the fuck out in regards to his love life because he's just a kid. But yeah, don't love that discourse about gender confusion and use of the R word. I'm not feeling that great about this POV of Jacob Black, let me tell you. So Jacob goes back home and Billy's just trying to act all casual and Billy's just trying to like chat to like distract Jacob or something. And he's like, Oh, Sue dropped by today. Amazing woman, that Sue. She's tougher than Grizzlies, that one. I don't know how she deals with that daughter of hers though. Ugh. Now Sue, she would have made one hell of a wolf. Leah's more of a Wolverine. <laughs> so even Billy's just like piling on on Leah. No wonder Leah's pissed. You're all acting like dickheads to her. Even Billy Black's getting in on the action and making fun of Leah. And Jacob's like, I wished he would shut up about Leah. I was trying not to think about her because we all hate Leah. And then Billy finally is like, oh, by the way, we got a letter today. Uh, It's a wedding invitation. And Jacob's like, oh, here we go. Here we fucking go. And Billy says, there's a note inside addressed to you. I didn't read it. And so he pulls out the envelope and he lays it in front of Jacob. But he's like, you know what? You probably don't have to read it. It doesn't really matter what it says. And Jacob's like, "Nah, I got to read it. So he pulls it out and it's his name in handwriting that he didn't recognize. And he's also thinking that the envelope, it's too fancy for Bella. None of her personal taste. And he's like, I bet she doesn't even like the invite. So he opens the note and it says, Jacob, I'm breaking the rules by sending you this. She was afraid of hurting you and she didn't want to make you feel obligated in any way. But I know that if things had gone the other way, I would have wanted the choice. I promise I will take care of her, Jacob. Thank you for her, for everything, Edward. All right. I don't trust this fucking Edward. I reckon that's sticking the knife in and twisting it. He's like, ha ha, the wedding's happening, sucked in, (laughs) ha ha ha. And also if it did go the other way, no, Edward would not show up to the wedding he'd be off in Volterra, stepping out into some sunshine on the day of the vampire festival. Like he wouldn't be floating around watching her getting married to someone else. -uh. So Jacob's about to break the table. He is stressed. He's over it. He is getting up and he's leaving the house. And he thinks hopefully Leah had gone home by now, even at this point in time. even after that tumultuous little letter that he just received, he's got to escape his emotions. And he's like, oh, I hope Leah's not around. Leave Leah alone. So he says he was running before he hit the trees, his clothes strewn out behind him like a trail of crumbs. God, this is really getting through a lot of clothing. Get naked before you go running. I tell you what, if I lived anywhere near La Pouche and I knew what was going on with those La Pouche boys, I would be setting up shop. I'd be camping out there with my little binoculars, just keeping an eye out for some big muscle men turning into wolves, just so I could see a flash of pain and butt cheek as they were transforming. Like, does that make me a perv? Possibly. Yeah, actually it does sound pretty pervy now that I say it out loud. But also, can you imagine the flash of pain that's floating around every time they're <laughs> turning from wolf to human, human to wolf? Oh, there'd be so much pain flying about. Anyway, where was I? So he's, yeah, he's, he's running, he's a wolf. He's in the forest, he's flying. The trees are blurring into a sea of black flowing around him. But of course he's not alone. So Embry's whispering in his head, so sorry. And then Quill's like, wait for us. We're coming, we're coming. And then Jacob's like, leave me alone. And he could feel their worry for him in their head. But then Sam, he orders them to let him go. And because it's an order, they can't refuse. So Quill and Embry slow down. And Sam says, phase back. I'll pick you guys up, phase back so that Jacob can be alone. And Sam says, come home when you can. Oh my God, that's actually making me kind of sad. Sam's presented as this hard ass, but he's really just trying to give Jacob some alone time. And I think that's really quite cute and it's quite emotionally mature and I'm all for it. Whereas Leah, she, oh, fucking Leah. She'll probably phase and be like, haha, sucked in, you have emotions. God, Leah's a bitch, isn't she? Oh, we all hate Leah so much. So now he's alone in the forest and he can just feel the woods around him and hear the animals and listen to the trees, all that bullshit. And he says, if the silence in my head lasted, I would never go back. I wouldn't be the first one to choose this form over the other. Maybe if I ran far enough away, I would never have to hear again. I pushed my legs faster, letting Jacob Black disappear behind me. And that's the end of the epilogue and the end of the book. And don't we sort of just all wish knowing what's to come in Breaking Dawn that like that would be it for Jacob Black. Like if that was the end of his story, he's just running in the forest, being a wolf forever, never coming back. Great, perfect, have fun. (laughs) Let's just pretend he never comes back. Let's live in that fantasy land until we get to Breaking Dawn eventually. So next week, we'll be looking at the movie. So join me for that. I might also try and squeeze in a fanfic episode. You know, I love my fanfic and I'm kind of interested in this whole Jacob having a sex dream about Sam thing. I wonder if there's any fanfic about that. And I'm also intrigued in the imprinting fanfic land because I know there's like a lot of stories out there that people have written where like Jacob imprints on Edward. And then there's, apparently there's this trend where like Jacob gets knocked up. He births human, but I don't know. There's some sort of Edward knocking up Jacob's storyline that's floating around on the interwebs. And I might dip into that, but I also might not. And so after that, we'll have some new books to cover. So for season six of Breaking Down Bad Books on the public feed, that's this feed, I'll be breaking down the Da Vinci Code. Now, I know a lot of people love the Da Vinci Code, and I loved it too when I read it the first time. I think I might have even reread it once or twice. Like, I loved it, but also, that's a poorly written book. And when you start to see the structure and the formula behind it, you're like, oh, that's repetitive. And it's all based on some mumbo jumbo historical nonsense. So I can't wait to get back into it. I remember the chapters being super short, so it's probably going to be, you know, like covering a few chapters each week if you want to read along. But we'll see how we go. And then on Patreon, I'll be looking at the Maze Runner because I'm really into the YA right now, apparently. And I've never read it, but I have seen the movie a few years ago, so I have a vague understanding of how schlocky it can be. So the Insurgent coverage is just finishing up as well, so you can go to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books if you want to get in on that action. Oh, and I do just want to acknowledge the acknowledgements of Eclipse. If you've got a copy of Eclipse, have a read through those acknowledgements, because they're quite fun. There's a section where she thanks her publicist, Elizabeth Ilberg. And she says, I'm eternally grateful for the wholesomeness of cheese-loving Midwestern girls. Like that's the acknowledgement to her publicist. No, thanks for being such a great publicist. It's like, thanks for loving cheese and being from the Midwest. (laughs) Imagine, imagine you make it to the acknowledgement section of a book. You get named in the acknowledgements and that's what they bring up about you. I'd be like, oh yeah, I I do love a camembert and a brie. Thank you, for, thank you for acknowledging me and my love of cheese. And also the other little pearl that I loved was when she thanked Brittany Gardner's fabulous work on the Twilight and New Moon by Stephanie Meyer, MySpace Group. <laughs> a fan site so large that the idea of keeping track of it boggles my mind. Oh, she said, how do you think in MySpace Groups? What a time capsule. Oh, her acknowledgements, they always make me laugh. And then there's like a, a Q&A with Stephanie about how she came up with the idea th- in her dream. Oh my God. Have a read of that if you want to cringe. But uh, yeah, other than that, that's Eclipse done. So I'll see you guys next week for the movie. And then we'll press on into some new territory before eventually coming back to Breaking Dawn and the renaissance of it all. Ugh, boy. <laughs> all right, see you. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to BreakingDownPod at gmail.com or on Twitter at PodBreakingDown and Instagram at BreakingDownBadBooks. You can visit www.BreakingDownBadBooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?